somewhere along the lines, I had this crazy idea when I was on the consulting side that I could run engineering better than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I basically wrote an email to the owner of the company, Brad Perry, who was the CTO at the time. I can be your next VP of engineering. And, and granted, I didn't know anything about engineering. I, and he wrote back and he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I think that, I think I could do this. This is The Early Years, a show about influential early employees of the most successful companies and their stories that have made a lasting impact. I'm Braden Anderson, and on today's show, how our guest helped a company that makes a CRM for auto dealers get acquired by one of the most successful private equity firms, Vista Equity. Imagine coming out of college with the intent of working for a well-known, resume-building giant company. But for fun, and because a friend of yours tells you that you should take a look at this company, you decide to take an interview at a startup. A startup that, when you go to the job interview, doesn't even have furniture throughout the office. Today we're joined by Nate Usher, and that's exactly what happened to him. Nate had always planned on joining a company that would define his resume for years to come. And frankly, he did. But not as he had originally planned. Nate decides to meet with this startup, Dealer Socket, and becomes employee 22. I joined the company in 2005 and I was employee number 22. Um, You know, and and coming out of college for me, I mean, I was a guy that uh, went to college during the, you know, during the night. I worked during the day. I worked 40 hours during the day and went to college at night. And so it's that old, you know, what is it? Tommy boy that says, Hey, most people graduate in 10 years, you know, and they're called doctors. Um, (laughs) It, it took me a while to, to graduate. I mean, I moved from Washington state down to California and had to basically start all over again, but, you know, put myself through school. And as I was putting myself through school, I was going to work at, or going to school at night, uh, studying marketing, um, and doing my marketing degree. And so I, coming out of college, I wanted to be a brand manager. I love design, love brands, love marketing and interviewed for a few different companies. Um, Bosch was one of them. I got the tour of their, you know, where they had all the appliances and their showroom. And I I thought that's where I wanted to go. And I got a call from a guy named Darren Harris, um, who was a consultant at the time, said, Hey, there's this really cool company. That's a startup company. You should at least go take, you know, take a look at it and talk to them. So I took him up on it and I, you know, I'm a kid coming out of college and I want to get a good job. And I showed up to the office and there was no furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about my parents, right? They just, you know, I just went through school and my, you see my parents like, Hey, what kind of job are you going to get? Like what company, <laughs> what company are you going to work for? You know, my dad wants me to work totally. for GE or, or Boeing or something like that. But I walk in and there's no furniture and there's just me in this, in this, in the receptionist. And, uh, you know, I looked around and it was just tables and laptops and cords. And, you know, I met, uh, you know, a guy, but I met Brad for the first time met Jonathan for the first time, um, met a guy named Cameron Darby, uh, who would later be one of my first bosses there. And, you know, I talked to all these guys and caught the vision, you know, heard the story, 
caught the vision and just, you know, just that feeling, you know, the overwhelmingly that I just felt like I knew these guys before. Wow. Um, in some way. And that's really kind of what put me over the edge yeah. um, is, you know, that feeling. And then, you know, Brandon, I had this, I had this goal coming out of college and this is sounds ridiculous, but my goal out of college was two things. Uh, one was to have my own laptop. <laughs> okay. You're going to date me, but my, my second goal was to have my own Blackberry, to have a Blackberry phone <laughs> that somebody paid for. And this is back in the day when it was not cool, or I guess it was cool to put the Blackberry on your, on your belt and then check it. Um, <laughs> Wait, but was that actually ever cool? Like, let's be honest here. It was. I think it was. I think it was cool um because that's how, just how you did it that's that's how you knew you're a pro you know, it was kind of a, a rite of passage essentially yeah like I had a roommate in when I was in college and you know he was a big time lawyer for Latham and Watkins and he would come home late at night and he had his Blackberry and I'm like Ooh, that, that looks <laughs> awesome that's that's how you know you're you've made it it's when you got your oh, Blackberry man. so I so it. you know I, I got sold on that and I got sold on the fact that uh they would uh give me a laptop, a Blackberry and, and let me travel the world as a consultant. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, everything felt right. Yeah. Uh, and definitely was about the people. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm curious about. Like, what was the thing that set you over? Was it again, this connection that you felt to, to go and join something that was probably your, you know, your employee number 22. It, it's not big. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. <clears throat> I mean, you know, what's funny is like my whole life, I wanted to work for a big company you know I wanted to be uh that guy that you know put in the hours you know climb the ladder work for a big name company that I can I can really tout yeah and say hey I made it and you know it just I never in a million years wanted to or expected to work for a smaller company I mean I was I was trying to go for the bigger companies like I mentioned um you know but when I got in there like you can feel in a startup and this has kind of been my experience, um, you know, in my career, but you can just feel something different in, in an entrepreneurial world uh, that I really didn't expect. Hmm. And when I got in there, you, you were all sitting in the same room. You've got your support people there. You've got your sales people in the next room over. And it's just that connection with everybody around you working hard, very casual, but yet you know, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And this is, this is going to sound stupid, but like, you know, when I was in the office, I could hear the support people talking to the consultants that were either in Texas and New York and Arizona, wherever we were doing installs. And, uh, you know, I could hear them talking as a team together on the phone. I was like, man, I, that sounds rad. Like yeah. that, that's cool. I mean, yeah. there weren't any titles, there weren't any like lanes or no silos, no, no politics. It was just get the job done and, and do it the best way you can. And I, I gravitated to that. And the story goes, and, and you know, I've told this story a thousand times, and, and a lot of people at Dealer Socket knew the story, but Jonathan and Brad went to a dealership and said, hey, here's a CRM that we built for your, your industry, for your dealerships. Hey, you can enter in these, these customers and you can manage them here. And the story goes that the dealership owner basically said, look, you've completely gotten it all wrong. Like, this is ridiculous. You guys don't know the industry. And Jonathan Brad said, hey, well, what if we work for free? And we sell cars, we service cars, 
And all we ask is that we can ask all the questions in the world um, and we get to build a CRM that, that works for your auto dealership. And, you know, they wanted to work for free so they didn't get fired. Um, and also, <laughs> you know, so they can build the technology. And that's a story that was told uh, from, you know, multiple people, definitely the earlier uh, employees at DealerSocket for years. And that, and, and to be honest, that story alone was kind of the foundation of the culture of dealer socket and really kind of set the tone for who we were, which was understand the customer, be entrepreneurial, be innovative. You know, Jonathan and Brad, I, I can't say enough good things about those guys. They're, they're just true leaders and they saw the vision, they had the foresight for, for what needed to happen. You know, over six months, eight months, they built dealer socket. Um, so I'm curious, what did you do when you first started there? Like, tell me, uh, you had mentioned briefly about being a consultant. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so um, there's about a team of uh, six to eight people. And, and as a consultant, uh, we were the ones, like I said, that would go out and, and, and talk to all the dealerships across the country. We'd travel every week. Uh, we'd go set up installs. Uh, we'd take our product, right, which was a configurable product for, for the dealership, train them on it, set it up, um, teach them how to use it, show them the value. So we were those guys, we were presenting to them, we were helping them set it up, we were, you know, working with them, we were just basically selling the vision of, of the magic of CRM for auto dealers. And, you know, this is during a time where it's brand new. Mm. And so I remember, uh, you know, I remember going to dealerships where, no kidding, I would have to teach people how to use a mouse. No way. I, yeah, I would say, look, that mouse, you move it and you click it. <laughs> and this isn't 1980. This is like the 2000s, right? Yeah. You know, in our, our demographic, which are very wow. honest, awesome, great workers. I mean, you know, guys that just want to sell cars and we wanted to teach them how to do it better. And, and so they weren't using a lot of technology at the time. We weren't the first player to bring CRM to the industry, but, um, uh, we tried to do it better than everybody else, obviously. I mean, that was the goal. And, and we definitely had the people to train them. So our consulting team uh, throughout the years was, was very much the glue of how successful we can make our dealers and how successful we, we could be as a company. It was truly what the consultants were doing at those dealerships, building the trust, teaching them how to use it. Uh, and that's where I started. And that's really where I, I love these guys that I started the company with and started this consulting team with, I mean, we were kind of just all over the country trying to figure it out and, and we we're growing. I mean, every, every week we'd see new deals and, and we'd go to wherever we needed to go across the country to do that. And, you know, we shared hotel rooms and ate together and went, went to games together. I mean, we were trying to, you know, basically change the world when it came to just making those dealerships better. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious. So you mentioned you weren't the first one. Uh, like, was it a competitive landscape, right? Like it's this, it's a pretty new idea to bring the CRM to the car dealership world. Like CRMs in general were really new. Like, were you competing against Salesforce or was it other like niche products? Yeah, no, uh, again, dating me. This is <laughs> way before Salesforce, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's funny because the company was named Firesocket. It wasn't actually named DealerSocket. Our goal, <laughs> our a, goal was a good to change actually the name. To, yeah, our goal was to actually go into multiple uh, verticals mm. and to go quote unquote horizontal rather than vertical. Um, and this is probably a, a, a debate for any dealer socket legacy employee. 
Um, and I'd love to talk to Jonathan about it, but you know, it's kind of the debate, you know, should we have stayed horizontal and gone into multiple industries, you know, like mortgages and, and construction and all this stuff, or was it better to go vertical? You know, I mean, we had a lot of success on that, but the reason I see it is because you brought up Salesforce sales, Salesforce was a customized CRM for everyone. Right. And this is way before Salesforce caught wind, but to your, to your question, yeah, there was like two or three, there was like two or three big players out there. Um, company called higher gear that when we went to our first conference, uh, we didn't even have a booth, you know, we were, <laughs> we couldn't even get tickets into the conference, NADA. <laughs> you know, we were, we're handing out free coffee tickets just oh, for man. a demo out in the lobby. I mean, probably breaking all the rules of what us you gotta do. being there and we're just hustling. Right. And this, and this, I remember higher gear having this massive booth in the in the floor and they were the big player and you know i, I think back on that and, and kind of to a lot of guys kind of me and say hey we got to find a new business we got to have a new idea it's not really that it's just doing it better i think you know and you know we kind of just did it better with better technology and yeah. our people were were just kind of the the thread that those consultants out there we really touched the customer and, and made them feel better and, and everything was great. So, I mean, it was, it was just trying to, you know, give the best customer experience possible. One of the things, um, you know, that, that we saw early on, just the adoption, uh, something that, that kind of just stands out to me is we, I remember uh, talking to Mazda. Mazda approached us pretty early on and said, hey, you guys are a great technology solution. And I just remember Mazda coming up and saying, Hey, we want to start booking service appointments. And, and that was, that was like an innovative thing. Like to book a service appointment online, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, we take advantage of it so oh, yeah. much today on like what we do, but honestly to book a service appointment online, we had like tons of meetings with Mazda, um, had this opportunity. And I remember uh, running point on that project to set up these appointments and there's, it was so crude and we had this like little, you know, scheduler thing on, on their website to book an appointment. But you know, it's funny. I think about this all the time because it, we knew that it was a needed feature. We knew that it was going to happen in the future, but you know, when we first started doing it, it just didn't take traction. Really? You know, it was like two appointments here, seven appointments next week. They're marketing the crap out of it. But, you know, after a while, I think a lot of times it's just an education. It's just an education play. You know, yeah. when you're bringing out technology, it's, it's just an education or an understanding. And uh, it's just funny to me to look back and think about those first trickled in appointments that happen. And <laughs> today it's, it's just how we do business. Well, yeah, I can't even imagine like anytime I go to a car dealership for service, I, there's no way I'm calling. I, like I, I do it all online. I can't fathom another way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that honestly, like that was cutting edge. I mean, <laughs> people were like, no one's going to book a service appointment online. I mean, it was just cutting edge and uh, so basic now, but that's how technology evolves. Yeah, so totally. That's cool. cool. So in this process, you, you know, you're consulting, you're helping these dealerships get set up and, and eventually you start building a team and you become a manager. Tell me about that yeah. and what that process was like. Yeah, that was a kind of a horrific process, to be honest. Um, Wait, what horrific? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's everybody. 
everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be a manager. And I was, I was in that boat. And uh, I just remember, and this is funny, I just remember my friend that worked at ADP, who was a manager, and she told me, she's like, yeah, it's just, you have to like worry about everybody else. Like you don't worry about yourself anymore. It's about everybody else. And I was like, what? You know, that's not, yeah. it doesn't sound right. But so I kind of just had that in the back of my mind, but just didn't think it was applying to me. And eventually I was uh, called into the office and COO, he wanted to make me a manager. And, and two things happened that were kind of, kind of resonant and kind of stuck with me for forever. One is, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a manager. I mean, obviously we want to progress and excel in our careers and I took it and was excited about it. And I believe the next question after that was, so are we going to fire this guy that's, you know, now on your team? I mean, do we need to get rid of him? Like, what do you want to do with that? And he what? instantly went into like business, you know, and he instantly was like, okay, are we going to let this guy go? Wow. And I was like a brand new manager. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I mean, yeah. uh, how do we do that? But it instantly hit me like, okay, now, now you have to manage, right? Like now you have to make sure that these guys are doing the right thing. And I remember going back to my desk and they made the announcement via email and Hey, Nate's the new manager, blah, blah, blah. And this is his team. You guys that are on this list reporting out to Nate. And I just, honestly, this is going to sound weird. As soon as I got, as soon as that announcement went out, I instantly started getting emails directed to me from that team that was, Hey, I'm going to need help on this, or I'm going to be on PTO, mm. or I need you to back me up on this one. And honestly, as these emails came in that morning, I just, I think I zoned out for like the whole morning. I just sat at my desk and processed what just happened, you know, kind of dismantle of like, you're a manager now, like you're, you're managing people and it's not about you anymore it's about it's about them um and it's about your team and making sure your team succeeds and i think it kind of hit me for the first time in my life that now i'm responsible for people which i think is a good thing i mean i think that's a, a natural reaction and you know i don't know how long i sat at my desk to, to process <laughs> that but after that i was like all right let's go yeah but Honestly, like from a management standpoint, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, I had almost got a school of hard knocks on how to really work with, and I definitely was not perfect as a manager. Um, I think one of the things I learned is you got to give them credit. I mean, yeah, I read, I read good to great, which is a fantastic book. And, you know, it's about giving other people the credit, getting them the right seats on the bus. And I, I learned that giving them the credit, which is so cliche again, it's kind of hard to do because you don't want somebody to be better than you. Yeah. Um, and there's still people I see in my career that, that have done that. But at the end of the day, it, it truly is not about you. It's, it's about building the team, which essentially in return makes you better or makes you look better or feel better or actually show better in the, in the industry, in the company when you can see your team excel and that was a that was a huge lesson yeah it's such a catch-22 because you don't think that it will you don't think that but you're exactly right like this the quicker you put other people above you and like praise them like it's amazing what it, it in turn does for you even though you know that's not very altruistic but it's still it's it's the truth like yeah. it just naturally will happen 
it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually really curious. Did you end up having to fire that guy? Uh, yeah, we let him go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Uh, I mean, it's never easy, right? Like it's, um, and that's part of the learning process. I mean, uh, you really, it, and, and the thing is you, you want to manage people up, right? You want to manage people up. You never want to let anybody go. Um, or you want to put people on the right seats in the bus. And what I've learned over the years as a manager and as a leader is, um, a lot of times it's trying to find their place and trying to find their place in the company. A lot of people have their natural, uh, talents or their, their bright spots and you really just want to put them in the right seat of the bus. Yeah. Never, totally. never fun though. I mean, I've seen even the most pro of pros managers that have done this for years, you know, it's just never, it's never easy to, to let somebody go. It's, it's for sure. exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. You never want to do it. Yeah. And then eventually you, you leave this kind of consulting role um, to do something else. And I'm curious for a couple of things, first of all, how that happened. And then secondly, um, what it's like to kind of shift roles within a company. Yeah. So funny, great question. A funny story. Um, somewhere along the lines, I had this crazy idea when I was on the consulting side that I could run engineering better than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but like, why? What made you think this? Um, I was, I was arrogant, young, ambitious. No, what was happening is, you know, I like it. Yeah. It sounds great. Right. You know, anybody could do it. Um, (laughs) so what happened was I'm always been, at least for me, like I've always been the guy that wants to learn everything. Right. I want to be able to experience different roles, different positions, I always kind of thought for the future, right? Like if I was to go either start a company or work for another company, what, what do I want to offer? I'm, I just come from this background of, Hey, get as much experience as you can um, and, and make it happen and, and make sure you can fall back on other opportunities, whether it's sales, operations, product, whatever that is. And part of that through, through that thought process, we were seeing VPs of engineering at dealer socket cycle every two years. And we worked a lot with the engineering team. And I basically wrote an email to the owner of the company, Brad Perry, who was the CTO at the time. And basically the gist of the email was, I can be your next VP of engineering because I know the product, I know the industry. I just need you to help me understand and teach me what it means to be uh, on the engineering side. So- uh, Wow. Looking, wow. Looking, yeah. Yeah, I wish I could find that email. Yeah, it'd, it'd be very awesome to, to frame and laugh at every once in a while. But <laughs> I and he wrote back and he said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a reasonable response. Oh, completely reasonable. I mean, if somebody said that to me today, I mean, I'd be like, "Of course, I'd be like, what an ambitious individual." But then I'd be like, "Wow, where where yeah. is that coming from?" And so he he wrote back and he said, "Are you serious?" And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I think that I think I could do this. And, and granted, I didn't know anything about engineering. All I knew knew was I wanted to be, I wanted to learn the skill of technology. I wanted to be, I wanted to have that skill set of developing technology. And I really didn't know what that was. 
But the point of the story is Dealer Socket, a couple years later, was looking for somebody to be the director of product management, which is, I had no idea what that meant at the time. Yeah. But I got a call from Brad and he said, hey, will you come be my director of product? And apparently the story is they were in a board meeting and um, when they were trying to think who could be the director of product inside a dealer socket, one of the executives, I I guess, I guess, I guess my email kind of got around because one (laughs) of the other executives piped up and said, um, well, what about Nate Usher's email where he wanted to be the VP of engineering? Maybe he, maybe he can go for it. And uh, yeah, that email came back and they basically called me and said, Hey, we want you to be the director of product management for dealer socket, which I didn't know what it was to be honest at the time, but it, it sounded cool. (laughs) And I thought I was going to be like Steve jobs. So I said, sure, I'll take it. it." Sounds great. (laughs) But dude, that's amazing. Like all of that came from you sending an audacious email. Uh, very ambitious, audacious, ignorant, aggressive, yeah, pie in the sky email. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, to to not go off on a total tangent, um, I I was interviewing with Nike at one point in time in my career, and uh, they asked they told they asked me to to tell me they asked me how I got in that product management role. I told them that story and the Nike guys loved it. I yeah. mean, they were like, oh yeah, just do it. You know, like, <laughs> let's go for it. Like, you're the guy. Of course, of course, of course we love that. Yeah, um, just do you know, it. I got a couple of callbacks, but it didn't work out. But, you know, they loved that portion, which was, uh, you know, throw it out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it worked. It came back. And I was wondering if, if, if I never sent that email, I probably would have never had that opportunity yeah like straight up yeah it's it's worth it to try is essentially what i take from that it's like yeah it was probably a little embarrassing at the time when you when he laughed at you with that response but yeah look what it turned into and it's it's just it doesn't hurt to try how did you learn how to do this role you had no product management background you had no engineering background what did you do to learn how to do this role yeah yeah as you say it i'm sure jonathan brad would be like yeah why we made a horrible mistake by, (laughs) by, by even giving that guy they're all um yeah i had no i had no idea to be honest what a product manager was and i say it in jest but i thought i was going to be somewhat of the you know the apple guys on the commercials talking about the the phone and and what they do which is somewhat of that right but yeah um yeah i i got in there i it hit me like a ton of bricks um the whole engineering process the agile scrum development life cycle uh, you know, there was no learning curve. They just popped me in front of version one and said, Hey, this is where you're going to write stories. This is your backlogs. And honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. And so in the meantime, more from fear, probably I just scoured books. I scoured books. I scoured articles. I scoured, you know, anything I can get my hands on. And I think one of the biggest things that I did and which was super cool is uh, I, I just went on LinkedIn and I reached out to guys that had director of product management in their title. I think I got a hold of uh, somebody at StubHub, to be honest, we either StubHub or Ticketmaster or something like that. And they called me back, you yeah. know, and they, and they talked to me and it was, it was awesome. And, you know, I've had that same experience 
with people that have reached out to me that I still randomly talked to that didn't had no idea who I was and, and they reached out to me and it was kind of the pay it forward. And, uh, it was great. And, you know, that probably was very, very helpful, uh, to me in, in that aspect. So I'm curious, how, how did it go? How was the, the experience of being the product manager or the director of product management? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you can see my gray hair. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's coming through on that HD cam of yours, but, uh, that's where, that's how it went, man. Is, oh man. But, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's one of the toughest jobs. I, I think product and, and development are easily, uh, CTO, VP of product, CPO, definitely one of the two hardest positions in the company. And I'm not just saying that cause I did it, but it's, it truly is. I respect anybody that goes down that road. And, you know, I had, I had a counterpart as a VP of engineering, a guy that just lived and breathed agile scrum. And he was a driver, right? Like we, we got along probably 50, 50% of the time, but, uh, but we competed. I, we, I think it was a healthy competition. Um, he was pretty, he was, pre, he, he drove me um, early on to, to understand agile scrum, to understand what a product manager was. And I fought it like tooth and nail, right? Like I didn't know what I was doing. I, I tried to control my world and my enterprise. And, you know, it took some time. I mean, I, I remember going into the product management team that I adopted at the time and they just, they didn't leave the office. <laughs> they never went out and talked to customers. I mean, they were kind of business analysts that turned product into product managers. And, you know, over time I, I brought in guys that, that I took from the consulting team that had that, just that edge for product management, that understanding of product management. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of cycled the other product managers out, uh, brought this new team in and we kind of all learned together uh, and really focused on that. And, and Brad Perry was probably so patient with me and it took a lot of trust for him to eventually give me the keys of the castle uh, to a guy that had no idea how to develop technology. And I think the craziest thing for any product manager, the craziest thing is when you actually develop, design a product and you give it to a developer and they're like, okay, all right, we'll build it. And you're like, wow. oh, wait, 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 hold on, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Maybe I should think through this. Like, you're yeah. just gonna build that and put it into my product. Yeah. And that, I remember I, I built a texting solution, or designed it, and they just built it. Wow. And I was like, wait, you're just gonna, you can build that? And so it, it just the process was amazing. It's hard, you know, because you have to, you have to kind of meet the needs of your internal clients, which are the executives. And, um, yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to charismatically say no and meet their expectations. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, I feel like the best product managers I've ever worked with are the ones that know how to say no. And, and, and then also how to say yes to the right things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that process yeah. is really difficult to know what to say no to. Like, you know, recognizing that there are multiple data points coming at you. Did you, did you see that as well? 100%. I mean, it's, it's so, so in my situation, nobody had ever run product before. Mm. Um, you know, Brad and Jonathan built a product, so they had their expectations. Um, again, they were both very patient with us learning. 
And, you know, it's very difficult. You, you, you learn how to charismatically like read the room and find out what the needs are and be able to articulate what those are in a charis and I say charismatic and my product team is probably rolling their eyes right now because I said it all the time, <laughs> but you can't just come in and say, no, you right. know, Hey, the salesperson wants this feature. No, we're not going to yeah. do that. You have to kind of firmly charismatically say, no, this is what we're working on. Let me show you this and we can get to that and we can stack rank it. And so it's just all this process terminology that when you're in the hot seat at an executive boardroom and they're asking you when's the target date or when's this i mean it's you're learning yeah. you're learning a lot about business you're learning about product but the team that i had i mean we all learned together and, and those guys work their tails off and uh you know kind of i i don't want to take credit but i love the fact that they have all these product managers that just became product managers as a team with me they're all at Carvana and Podium. I mean, they're all over the place, uh, either as directors or VPs. And it's just cool to see yeah. that well, they goes, came from dealer socket. Yeah, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, right? When you started managing a team and building them up and helping them grow, like that's what you want to see. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so what, what happened after that? Uh, after you were director of product management, how long did you do that for? And then what, what was next? Yeah, I did that for, I did that for four years. Um, and we built some fantastic products. I mean, we built multiple product lines, uh, that really served the company well. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great accomplishment. And then after that, I, I moved into uh, a different roles, um, kind of to further along some of the experience that I needed to have and wanted to get, I moved into more of a, a business development role, uh, to work directly with the OEMs. Um, you know, at some level, uh, there was a new leader that came in over product. Um, and, and that's tough, right? You know, that, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think at the time, and we will talk about it a little bit, but you know, we got purchased by a private equity company and, uh, they wanted to see seasoned or experienced relationships uh, and yeah. leaderships. And that was, you know, I got replaced. I didn't get replaced. I just didn't get the, the position I wanted. And, you know, talking openly about it, it's just, that's part of your career, right? Like sometimes people are going to come in and, and take a different route and it's okay. You know, it's what the company feels needs to happen. And that's a very mature um, attitude, Nate, because I don't think a lot of people have that perspective. Well, it's, ta it's taken me years to get there. <laughs> some gray hairs and some years. <laughs> it's yeah. taken me so many years, but you know, it's, it's, I've seen it with new companies that I've come to you and I've been the new person. Mm. Um, that come in, comes in with the experience. And so I get it. Um, you know, that person didn't last, you know, in that position, but that's okay. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where a lot of times in business you have the legacy employees and then you have people with experience, you know, and sometimes your legacy guys, you know, the ins and outs where they've been, they graduated from college and this other person that comes in from the outside is, has got a new fresh perspective and it may work and it may not. Yeah, but it's just that's just the nature of business. And so that being said, I just saw my way of doing something different. You know, I, I definitely don't want to step on somebody's toes that has a different vision of product. I mean, I think in product, you you if as a VP of product or a director of product or a CPO, you kind of know how you want to drive. And I've been building that team for four years. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just, hey, 
I'm going to go do something new. And I, I was stoked to take on a new role is, as far as business development and, and be kind of a national uh, account leader when it comes to our partnerships across the country and working with some of the largest dealer groups out there and the largest OEMs. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and so you, at this point, you now have seen a lot of the company, right? Like you start out in the consulting, you then do product, you then do, you know, business development. And yeah. then from there, you even go into more of an operations type role, right? Yeah, that was an interesting, yeah, that was an interesting time. And, and maybe, you know, um, kind of the, the segue to that is, you know, dealer socket, kind of going back to our culture and our history, you know, after a few years, we got, we got purchased by a private equity company, uh, uh-huh. Vista Equity Partners. And, you know, it's, it just changed the game. And, you know, Vista, you know, any private equity company, they come in with their playbook um, to, to grow the business. And, you know, Vista has a pretty amazing pedigree. I mean, they have great portfolio companies. Uh, they've had great success on, on selling different companies. Robert Smith is the CEO. He came from, um, he came from Goldman Sachs and has a pretty rad history on, you know, how he basically saw an opportunity to, to grow these smart, small portfolio companies, mid-sized software companies and, and grow them, uh, to, uh, improve them and to sell them. And he brought that, you know, that idea to Goldman and, you know, they, they turned him down and he left with his best analyst and now they're multi multi billionaires. And he's, yeah. I think the richest African-American in the world, if not yep. the U S I'm not sure where he's at right now, but he's rich. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. got money. So, I mean, they have a good pedigree, right? And, and the guys that came in this, uh, you know, on the product side, I was working with guys that worked at Microsoft, you know, Martin Taylor and Mark Taylor, these guys that were just amazingly sharp, but they take a different direction, right? Like they, they, they run their playbook. Um, they, they teach a lot of great things, you know, managing your costs, your business, uh, more of the, you know, the hardcore, like manage the manage the business, right? Like move out the bottom five to 10%. I mean, make sure that, that you're really, really cutting costs and you're, and you're being efficient. So a lot of, a lot of things that you would learn, but, um, definitely took away from the culture, right? Like the total culture that we started. And I mean, we worked in a room together and it just kind of took a different turn. And so that being said, they made a lot of changes, um, to the operations. And these, these changes were, you know, good and bad. And, um, uh, at the time the the COO that was running it left the company and a guy by the name of Darren Harris, who actually was the guy that I mentioned, uh, you know, talked to me about dealer stock and he, he assumed the COO role hmm. and wow. it was just kind of a, a rad time and experience because, you know, at the time it operations were, it, they were struggling with a few things. Um, they brought in some new leadership, you know, they changed different, different ways of doing business and, you know, support, you know, you know, things are going the opposite direction. And Darren Harris, you know, I'll never forget it. He, he basically put together his team of mm-hmm. leaders and his team of leaders uh, were kind of legacy dealer socket guys that helped start the company. And, and brought them in to take on and come back to the operations side of the business and me included. And so I got back into the operations side. Yeah, that's awesome. 
And, and so you just, you kind of alluded to this. Um, this was your last role at dealer socket. Um, so you've obviously since left what, what kind of led to your decision and in, in, to what you're doing now? Um, it's a great question. A little bit of a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it, we started to see people leave. It, it's, you know, I'm a sports guy. I played sports my whole life and, you know, I played soccer uh, a ton. And anytime you start to see your teammates leave and mm. you're, you were on that team, it's just hard. Mm. You know, it's, it's hard to see these people leave for different opportunities. I, I think I've kind of, I kind of reached um, a little bit of my max potential. At least I, I felt at, at dealer socket, I felt like it was a good run. And, you know, I, I, I believe that there was just a timing to it. I just, I, I loved what I did. You know, Jonathan was out of the company. Some of my closest friends were out of the company and a little bit for me, uh, I didn't have as much as the passion. Um, sure. Based on well, you were there for happening. how long? Well, I was there for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long 15 years is a pretty big run, <laughs> especially in today's world. I feel like that's so yeah. rare to work at a company for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. It goes against my dad's philosophy of changing jobs every two to three years. So, yeah. I mean, he, he looks at me as like, I don't even know how you did it, but <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I mean, I love the company. I loved what I did. I love the people. Um, well, Nate, I'm, I'm curious what, what is, maybe one piece of advice you'd give to someone that's currently in the early years of a startup. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the one, one piece of advice, or I guess, <clears> you know, if you're going to give me a platform, I'll, I'll give a couple, yeah. uh, you know, a couple pieces here. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting. You always need to do something for, for your growth, uh, for your passion, what you want to do. Uh, they always say that you you should actually take an opportunity for the opportunity to grow and to to do something better rather than for salary, right? Mm. Um, I've had a few opportunities in my years to to take salary over maybe something I was passionate about, and you know I've always felt that you want to do something for the experience, and and two, you know based on what we've discussed, it's obvious that I've wanted to be well rounded. I've wanted mm -hmm. to gain knowledge, and that's always kind of been my mantra is to to gain as much knowledge as you can and do it do it because you want to learn um and you want to grow um rather than doing it for like a paycheck and whatnot do it because you yeah. want to be getting skills you want to be learning um and you want to be passionate about what you're what you're doing i know it's easier said than done well yeah but, but you're exactly right like i i had a conversation with someone today that literally was saying like yeah I, he's he's currently in his undergrad and he's like i took a job I had two offers. One of them was a dollar more an hour. And that was one of the leading reasons is why he took it, even though the other one was like a private equity yeah. firm where it's more of what he yeah. wanted to do. But like, you just get so focused on, on the amount in, in that early in your career, like that shouldn't be the focus. It's let's learn as much as we yeah. possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always, I think it's good advice. And I've, I've always done that from my career. I mean, obviously we want to support our families and, yeah. and make as much money as we can, you know, doing the things that we love. But I think overall, I've always tried to look for the opportunity um, over money because, you know, you can go make money any which way, but I think the opportunity is there. And, you know, the second thing is um, it, it's, 
you know, I, I kind of came in probably with a lot of <laughs> maybe some pride, you know, in my career. Um, but you got to kind of keep your ego in check, right? Mm. Like it's, you know, let things go. I mean, a lot of times we let things like politics, it, it's hard not to get wrapped up in that stuff. And I think as you let it go and let things play out, mm. um, as my good friend, you know, Darren Harleen reminds me all the time, the truth always comes out. Yeah. And I, I know that to be true. It might not be today, tomorrow, could be three years from now, but you know, you, you really can't, you, you really can't let your ego or your pride or somebody, you know, using politics to get ahead, uh, just, you know, be who you are and the truth will come out. And so if you're learning, you're looking for opportunities, you're showing your drive, you're showing your commitment, definitely in a, in a startup company. I mean, everything you do impacts the company. You come up with a product or come up with a worksheet or a process, all that stuff impacts a startup company in some way, right? You're not in this like rat race where you came up with a cool process and it has to go 50 layers up the, up the mountain to get approved. I mean, in a startup, yeah. you come up with a new process, more importantly, it's gonna, I mean, most likely it's gonna be implemented and your idea goes there. So I yeah. really love that in startups where you really just can see your decisions being made um, yeah. across the board and seeing the impact. That's Nate Usher, one of the earliest employees at Dealer Socket. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you like the show, leave a rating on Apple Podcast and be sure to subscribe. I'm Braden Anderson, and this is The Early Years.